All right, some Canadian television exposure, finally. <laughs> I gotta find out when this airs so when I come into the country, I can be ready for the adulation. Hey, I've been, <laughs> I've been on the David Letterman show twice. Anyone see me? Hey, I'll be damned. Like four million people watching that show and I don't know where the hell they are. With the, that's my favorite introduction I've ever had. You might have seen this next comedian on the David Letterman show. But I believe more people have seen me at the store. And that would be a better introduction. You might have seen this next comedian at the store. And people would say, hell yes I have. <laughs> I opened up a yogurt and underneath the lid it said, please try again. They were having a contest I was unaware of. But I thought I might have opened the yogurt wrong. <laughs> or maybe your play was trying to inspire me. Come on, Mitch, don't give up. Please try again. A message of inspiration from your friends at your play. Fruit on the bottom. Hope on top. We are back. Hello and welcome. Welcome back to Comedian Ordinaire, the world's most okay podcast. Number 61. Really on a roll lately, and I don't have any guests, so that's pretty crazy that I'm still going. Um, today, I'm going to talk about Mitch Hedberg, comedian who I feel like if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have heard of. If you haven't, I'll get into all of that. We'll get into everything here in just a second. Before I do... If you would like to support the podcast, you can do so by telling a friend, and you need to make a friend to do that. And I think a really good way to make a friend, like if, if you really need one, maybe you could buy a guitar from somebody in Commerce City, Colorado. And however close that is to you, I don't, I don't know exactly, but maybe you go there, you buy the guitar... You befriend this person, you get the guitar, and now you have a new hobby, a new friend, and you can tell that friend to listen to the podcast. Because that's the best way for this thing to grow and spread, really by word of mouth. Just say, hey, I know a guy, he does a thing, and he talks about this specific subject in different ways. And then maybe somebody's like, hey, I like that subject in different ways, and I don't know the guy, but maybe I can know him by listening. And then boom, that's how it grows. So... Go do that. Go tell a friend. That's a great way to do it. As always, you can reach the podcast at comedianordinaire at gmail.com. Also, happy July 5th and the 4th. I know yesterday was America's birthday. If you felt like celebrating, that's confusing, I guess. I don't really know what you're celebrating. Maybe you just like lighting fireworks, but there's a... Uh, I don't know. This feels like one that... Maybe everybody should just take off and, like, relax for one year. But if you decide to celebrate it, I guess good for you. That's awesome. You really like the place that you live in. Uh, I don't want to get too into that. Like I said, today's episode is all about 
comedian Mitch Hedberg. All right, so the question is, how good was Mitch Hedberg? And I'd really like to preface this entire thing by saying that, of course, it's almost impossible to objectively measure the greatness or goodness of a comedian. I know, humor is subjective. We all laugh at different things. To some, watching people get hurt is funny, and to others, hurting people is what's funny. It's all dependent on who you are individually. Okay, that being said, I'm not trying to answer the question, how funny was Mitch Hedberg? I'm going to try and answer the title question as objectively as possible. How good was he? And I think in order to do this, I need to take a look at his performing technique, patterns, ability to take hold of a crowd's attention, and effectively get his point across. To me, his stage presence is just as important as the material itself. Like, if you've ever tried to tell a Mitch Hedberg joke to a buddy, and you don't say it exactly how he said it, you just botched the joke. They're going to be like, what is so funny about Dr. Acula? I also want to take a look at his mental approach to comedy and try and figure out why he started, how he grew throughout his career and that type of thing. But first, a little backstory. If you haven't heard of Mitch Hedberg before, he was a comedian originally from St. Paul, Minnesota. Born in 1968, first started performing comedy in 1989 at the age of 21, somewhere in Florida. Uh, This is where he started honing his performing skills and after a number of years moved to Seattle to begin touring. Hedberg would go on to appear on the David Letterman show a total of nine times, according to my own research, and as well as Fox's hit That 70s Show, Comedy Central Presents, the Just for Laughs Festival in Montreal, and he would even be dubbed the next Jerry Seinfeld by Time magazine. However, sadly, in 2005, Mitch Hedberg was found dead in a hotel room in Livingston, New Jersey, while on a club tour performing stand-up. The comedian who was born with a heart defect was initially believed to have died from heart failure. He had struggled with drugs and alcohol and took a hiatus from performing for several months after a 2003 arrest in Austin, Texas for felony possession of heroin. I used to do drugs, I still do, but I used to too. (laughs) Mitch had always been open about his use of marijuana or hallucinogens, but kept his heroin and cocaine use under wraps. Following another arrest in 2002, Mitch was shot up with so much heroin into his leg that he was rushed to the hospital where medical staff suggested the leg might even need to be amputated. But Mitch was more than just the drugs. He was more than the stoner persona he portrayed on stage. He was a prolific writer and performer who inspired almost everybody around him. He was also known as one of the most generous comedians, even lending a hand to a young Hannibal Burris and lent a joke to fellow comedian Artie Lang. One quick Mitch Hedberg story. So I opened up for Mitch Hedberg like 22 years ago and he comes up to me after the show and he goes hey Artie man you're a fat guy I go that's what he said I go I, I could lose a couple but what, what are you talking about he goes I wrote a joke that um, uh, I can't do because I'm not fat but I'll give it to you I go, he, goes, he goes you know when you're a kid and they tell you to wait a half an hour after you eat before you go swimming and I'm like yeah he goes you should say you've never been swimming because it's never been more than a half an hour since you last ate <laughs> and I go that's a great joke and I, I could have that joke he goes yeah 
So then he comes back and he was smoking a lot of weed. So he comes back totally serious. He goes, hey, man, you're right. That is a good joke. I'll make you a deal. If I gain like 100 pounds before you do that on TV, I get the joke. <laughs> I'm like, all right, whatever. So, okay. So cut to like a month later. I'm with Norm MacDonald having dinner with people. And Norm does that joke about me. He goes, hey, man, it's uh, Artie's never been swimming. It's never more than a half an hour since he last day. And I'm like, where the fuck did you hear that joke? He goes, he goes, I heard a fat guy do it at the comedy store. I go, really? So I see Mitch two weeks later. I go, Mitch, what the fuck, bro? You gave me that joke. Norm said he saw a fat guy do it at the comedy store. So he's all fucked up. And he goes, hey, Artie, man, you know, listen, I'm sorry. You know, I, I, I get fucked up a lot. I forget shit. I probably gave that to a lot of fat guys. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So technique. Let's just get right into it. Mitch Hedberg had a style of comedy completely unique to himself. It was the combination of non-sequiturs and delivery, meaning each thing he said wasn't related to the last thing. He didn't use any segues or transitions like you would see most comedians do today. Even other one-liner comedians like Dimitri Martin have a handful of one-liners based around a certain subject to make the flow of their performance easier to follow. But you would never hear Mitch Hedberg say, Speaking of, or which brings me to my next point, because everything was meant to stand on its own. I like refried beans. That's why I want to try fried beans, because maybe they're just as good and we're wasting time. <laughs> you don't have to fry them again after all. I eat a lot of sandwiches. Who doesn't, man? Sandwiches are easy to eat. But I hate sandwiches at New York delis. Too much fucking meat on the sandwich. It's like a cow with a cracker on either side. What would you like, sir? A pastrami sandwich. Anything else? Yeah, a loaf of bread and some other people. <laughs> what kind of bread? Rye. No, fuck. Banana. You got banana bread? <laughs> what kind of cheese? Cottage. Get the fuck out. <laughs> I'm not making a banana bread pastrami cottage cheese sandwich. <laughs> that will severely ruin my reputation. I order the club sandwich all the time, and I'm not even a member, man. I don't know how I get away with it. I, I like my sandwiches with three pieces of bread. So do I. Well, let's form a club then. <laughs> okay, but we need some more stipulations. Yes, we do. Instead of cutting the sandwich once, let's cut it again. Yes, four triangles. And we will position them into a circle. And in the middle, we will dump chips. Or a potato salad. Okay. Let me ask you a question. How do you feel about frilly toothpicks? I'm formed. Well, this club is formed. Spread the word on menus nationwide. I like my sandwiches with alfalfa sprouts. Well, you're not in the fucking club. I went to a pizzeria. I ordered a slice of pizza. The fucker gave me the smallest slice possible. If the pizza was a pie chart for what people would do if they found a million dollars, the fucker gave me the donate to charity slice. <laughs> I would like to exchange this for the keep it. Gotta have a drink here. But what's absolutely crazy about his stand-up is that it actually all worked because it wasn't meant to work. Part of what made his comedy funny was that it was completely out of place and ridiculous. He was funny because of the lack of transitions. The seemingly random thought hopping we'd see on stage was a signature move of his. Another trait was using literal interpretation and sarcasm when you didn't expect it. 
Last year, MTV's Real World got 40,000 applications. That's amazing, man. Such an even number. <laughs> you would think it would be 40,008, maybe. Yeah, man. The observant side of Mitch Hedberg was also something that a lot of fans knew him for. He'd point out completely mundane aspects of our lives and make a funny out of them. I got a belt on that holds up my pants, and my pants have belt loops that hold up my belt. What the, really, what the hell is really going on down there? Who is the real hero? I also have trouble identifying some of his punchlines, like this donut joke, for example. He gets the laugh after the words, end of transaction. Definitely not the punchline, though. I bought a donut and they gave me a receipt for the donut. I don't need a receipt for a donut. I'll just give you the money, then you give me the donut and the transaction. We don't need to bring ink and paper into this. I just can't imagine a scenario where I'd have to prove that I bought a donut. Some skeptical friend, don't even act like I didn't get that donut. I got the documentation right here. He's just stating something. We don't need to bring ink and paper into this. Maybe that's the punch? Also, I can't imagine the scenario I'd have to prove that I bought a donut. This feels like a setup to me and some skeptical friend. Don't even act like I didn't get that donut. I got the documentation right here. That sounds like the punchline, but the funny is all over the place and it really only works because of how he's delivering the joke. Really, all this proves is that I'm a nerd who overthinks joke structure, but also that sometimes he just didn't follow typical joke writing technique. Mitch was an absolute master at saying things funny rather than saying funny things. Not to say that he didn't. I know I've used a lot of audio examples in this one, but I really want to illustrate the points I'm trying to make. In this koala joke, I believe that the funny is how he says the word leaf. My apartment is infested with koala bears. It's the cutest infestation ever. Way better than cockroaches. When I turn on the light, a bunch of koala bears scatter. And I don't want them to, you know? I'm like, hey, hold on, fellas. Let me hold one of you. And feed you a leaf. Why do koala bears, they're so fucking cute. Why, why do they have to be so far away from me? We need to ship a few over and I will apprehend one and hold them. All right, and pet him on the back of his head. There's a tempo to his tone that if you listen closely, lets you know the end of the sentence is coming up and then boom, the word leaf, just with a little shuz. If you look at this joke on paper, the funny looks like it's supposed to come from saying the cutest infestation ever, which was kind of a laugh. But just by being himself, Mitch makes the word leaf a punchline. As far as specific performing techniques go, these couple things are really what his comedy was comprised of. Unless you want to include things like stuttering, laughing in the middle of a set, or critiquing his own joke right after he says it. That joke. That joke is dumb, I'm aware of that. To me, these all seem like personality quirks rather than intentional technique. All right, 
on to the mental approach. Mitch Hedberg took a really unique mental approach to comedy. We've already gone over how he performed and some of the different patterns you can recognize in his stand-up. But what's even more interesting is who he was offstage. And of course, if you're talking about Mitch off the stage, you have to talk about the drug use. But what I think a lot of people tend to overlook is how much time he really put into comedy. In a 2012 interview with his widowed wife, Lynn Shawcroft, we get to hear her talk about how much he used to sit down and write, pen to paper. I'll put the link to this video in the description because it's an incredibly sightful watch and I think you can get a lot out of it. In one of the shots, we see her holding up one of Mitch's old notebooks right up to the camera and it reads, I know people who believe in ghosts, but don't believe in themselves. It's sad, okay? You don't think you'll ever make it as a musician, but last night you saw a translucent caveman? And really, if you don't hear that in Mitch's voice by now, you probably just haven't watched enough of his comedy. Basically, he prioritized sitting and thinking, saying that getting lost in thought and allowing your mind to drift off was an essential part of the creative process. When asked what advice he had for other comedians, he said this. Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you fine. I think you already touched upon this a little bit. I'll just ask you again. What's your favorite thing about doing stand-up? My favorite thing is uh, writing... Uh, jokes and uh, just having your thoughts laughed at is pretty amazing, you know. Yeah. Um. So, what advice would you give for other comics? Uh, it's quite easy, man. My advice is uh, always make sure that you uh, write write down thoughts that are funny because you, you want to make sure that you hang on to, to all the funny things you think. It's so simple as that. Write down anything funny that comes to your head. Don't be lazy. He also had a fondness for rejection saying that if you go through enough of it, you start to thrive on it because you try and prove to other people how much you still believe in yourself. They were getting rejected. Right. Why is that important to go through that? And what did uh, you learn? Oh, because it, it builds you. You know, it, it makes your skin tough, you know, and uh, rejection is, is real tough at first, but after a while, you kind of thrive on it. It's an energy in itself just to get rejected. Talk about that. Well, because you want, you want to prove people that, you know, they're wrong, man. Like, mm -hmm. like when I first started doing comedy, people would try to tell me how to dress, and they would try to tell me what, kind of what kind of jokes to do, and they wanted me to go to, like, a, a stand-up comedy class and have some other guy tell me how to be funny, you know, man? Mm -hmm. and, and funny is natural, you know? You, don't, you can't learn how to be funny, you know? You, you can learn how to say a joke in a certain rhythm, but you can't learn how to be funny. And I knew that, but these people were trying to tell me, you gotta come to class and, and we'll tell you like how to present yourself and everything. Mitch also talks about how much he used to bomb back in Minnesota or Montana, Idaho, Oregon, because the comedians those crowds wanted to see all had jokes about genitalia, but that just wasn't his style. Have you ever had a situation where you just bombed? Where I bombed on stage? Mm -hmm. Oh, many situations, man. Pluralize that immediately because <laughs> I've bombed endlessly. You know, I, I used to tour Montana and Idaho and uh, Oregon to these one-nighter bars. I'd go from bar to bar, and I'd be the opening act out of a two-man show. And the guy going on last would always kill. I would always bomb horribly. Then the next guy would go on. He'd have a lot of jokes about like genitalia and such, which the crowds kind of wanted to hear. They liked that stuff. But I, I didn't have any of those jokes, so I was bombing. But the only good thing about that was is a lot of times these towns would be loaded with kind of like scary looking women and and the scary looking women would always ask the funnier guy to dance so i never had to dance and maybe these next few tidbits don't have much to do with his mental approach so much but i thought they were worth sharing 
According to a handful of comedians, Hedberg was also one of the most generous people in the industry, lending a helping hand to many, including a young Hannibal Burris, Mike Birbiglia, and Artie Lang. Even while he was on the rise, he never forgot about people who were in the same place that he used to be in. In the words of Birbiglia himself, he treated all comics the same. It doesn't matter if you were Dave Attell or not. He rode the line of what a show was, so no two shows were ever the same. Hedberg even went as far to open for Birbiglia during his first CD release party and refused to be paid. When I was opening for him on the Comedy Central Live Tour, he offered to come to New York City for the release of my CD at the comic strip. I kept giving him an out so he didn't feel obliged to do it, but he insisted on it. So he flew himself to New York and he performed on two shows for nothing. I offered to pay him and he kept refusing. He just gave me a hug and walked out the door and that was it. The late booker for the comic strip named Lucian Hold commented that what amazed him most about Mitch was that he had his eyes closed on stage, yet he had the most profound connection with the audience. He didn't see the audience, he felt the audience. This man literally flew himself out to New York and put on two shows, left with no money, did it out of the kindness of his heart. And when Hannibal Burris was just starting to get his chops, Mitch helped him out too. Once while Mitch was playing a sold-out weekend in Chicago, he let Hannibal and some other inexperienced comedians go on stage during his set, which is absolutely unheard of. It's also important to mention Mitch's very real stage fright, which is a strange thing for a great comedian to have, but I think this is part of what created Mitch's energy on stage. The nervousness, the twitching, the mumbling, the laughing at your own jokes because it didn't get a response as quick as you thought it would. Mitch's stage fright was so bad, more often than not, he'd perform wearing sunglasses and just keep his eyes closed during the entire show. Here's a great story about that. That night, Mitch was on stage, and in the middle of the set, he goes, Oh, no, I got to go to the bathroom. Can someone come on stage and tell a joke? And there was this long gaping silence. And then, and then he's like, I'm serious, you guys. I, gotta, I really got to go. And it's still silent. I mean, no one's ever seen anything like this in a show. And so I'm backstage with Lynn, and, and I'm like, are you going to go up? And she was like, will you go? And I was like, all right. So I walk on the stage, and he doesn't know I'm there because his eyes are closed. And I go, Mitch, I'm here. And he goes, oh, thanks, man. And he walks off like this is just like an everyday thing. <laughs> and then the audience is looking at me, and I'm looking at the audience, and we're all just laughing <laughs> at the sheer absurdity of the situation. <laughs> so I just look down at the floor, and I go, I'm pretty good at tennis, but I will never be as good as the wall. The wall is relentless. <laughs> There's a jar of jelly beans at the state fair that says, guess how many, and you win the jar. I was like, come on. Oh, man, let me just have some. <laughs> so then Mitch comes back, and he's laughing, and he goes, Oh, man, you did my best jokes. <laughs> so how do I wrap this up? Well, the question still stands. How good was Mitch Hedberg? I think when you look at the 16 years of comedy, you really only see a successful Hedberg for about half of those. But he died in his peak. A good way to think about it is when Steve Martin suddenly stopped performing comedy and just went over to movies and music. Mitch was at the top of his game. He had a half a million dollar sitcom deal, three comedy CDs, all the respect in the world, 
and he hadn't even made a Twitter account. I think one of people's favorite things to talk about in discussing where he'd be today is how perfect the Twitter medium is for somebody like him to express himself. Who knows exactly how tech-savvy he really was. All I know for sure is that he'd have more followers than our president. Hedberg was also one of the clutchest comedians out there. And when I say clutch, I mean he was somebody who loved the pressure. He was under the impression that the more tense the situation was, the better you would be, which is absolutely admirable for somebody with a stage fright like he had. I was, uh, if, I, if it was the last frame and I needed a strike, you had to get a strike, I would get a strike. You know, it just seems like when there's pressure on you to do well, you seem to do well. Don't you, don't you feel absolutely. that way? Absolutely. Yeah, well, like, there are certain people like you focus or you fold. You right. You go two ways. And I, I really didn't do good on TV comedy until I was on The Letterman Show. I did a lot of shows that were like way less caliber. And I, I actually had kind of bad performances on like five or six of them. And then when I finally got to the big leagues, Letterman, my first time out there, man, it really clicked hard and that was the most pressure. So Why I, do you think that? Why is it that it takes that kind of uh, in, environment to really perform? What happens to you? Oh, because the environment is so huge that it almost makes you feel like you finally arrived. So you kind of like, you go up to the next level. You say, all right, I'm here, man. It's time to put down the whiskey and take it for real now, you know what I mean? Like, I can't be drinking before this one. Now. So yeah, Mitch was damn good. He's a once in a lifetime type of comedian and he was just getting started. We look at all of our favorites now like Dave Chappelle or Kevin Hart who have been performing more than half their lives. I can't even begin to imagine where somebody with Hedberg's work ethic would be today. But you can't have the comedian without the drugs. It's hard to say, but maybe this is really where he got his funny. And every comedian has their own way of finding it and expressing it. Mitch's just happened to be through the recreational use of some pretty hard drugs. I used to like Mitch Hedberg. I still do, but I used to, too. Oh, yeah, man. I, I saw a commercial that said, forget everything you know about slipcovers. So I did. <laughs> and it was a load off my mind. Then <laughs> the commercial tried to sell slipcovers, but I didn't know what the hell they were. <laughs> now, is a hippopotamus a hippopotamus or a really cool apotamus? <laughs> That's good. And there you have it. Uh, there you have it. There's a little little thing on Mitch Hedberg. I hope that was educational in some way. It's really tough to look at a comedian and break down everything that this comedian is doing to try to be funny and try to make a persona on stage. It's sort of like, um, it's like dissecting a frog because you have to kill the frog first. And I feel like when you're talking about comedy in this manner, you might have to kill the illusion of it a little bit. But I'm really trying to break down what great comedians have done. So if you're listening, maybe you can do the same thing. I just know that in putting all of these together, I'm learning so much about different performing technique and mental approach and attitude and optimism and... I hope that I can just do the same for any aspiring comedians out there or any just comedy nerds or aficionados. That being said, uh, thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. 
this one feels like it's a shorter one. Um, but hey, that's uh, that's that's life. Sometimes podcasts are shorter, and they're not always an hour long. But I did have a lot of fun putting this together. I don't know what comedian I'm going to talk about next week. I'm still thinking about that right now. I really hope you had a fun weekend, and I hope Fourth of July means something to you. Um, I don't know. It's tough. It's tough to celebrate a day like this. And I know you're listening to this after the fact, but just with everything going on, I feel like the country has never been more awake to certain things. If you're out there still celebrating, I just hope you're doing so in a mindful manner and you're not disturbing your neighbors like by lighting cannons literally outside of their front door. Just be respectful. Be nice. I'm sure you probably still have some fireworks left over. Just save them. Save them or sell them or throw them. Anyways, uh, I'm getting too preachy here at the end of this one. As always, if you would like to support the podcast, you can do so by telling a friend. I told you how to make a friend at the beginning of the show. If you need more ways to make friends, one thing I like to do is Google how to make friends and then try every single thing on that list. Also, now that I'm at the end of this podcast, if you've heard any motorcycles, dogs barking, trucks driving by with broken mufflers, I'd like to apologize on society's behalf. I live right next to a road, which is probably why I've been loud most of this podcast. Anyways, if you have a loud car, shut up. Just don't be loud because I can't stand it. I never knew that I hated motorcycles until I lived near a road. And now I hate people that drive motorcycles. I don't even hate the vehicle. I just hate the person that makes the decision to drive a vehicle. Oh boy. Um, anyways, thanks again for listening all the way to the end. I will see you next week with another breakdown of some other comedian. I got a great I got a great story about Hedberg. Please. Is that everybody t- if you Google it, people go nuts over I moved into this building when I lived in LA and in West Hollywood and the superintendent goes, You're a comedian, huh? The, the guy in the apartment next he's a comedian. And I go, What's his name? He goes, Something Hedberg. Nobody knew him at this point. Yeah. I, I go, I I don't know who he is. So I'm sitting there one night and I hear like guitar. They kept playing music and I would bang on the wall. <laughs> First of all, I go, this guy must be a hack. I hear this horrible right. guitar and people singing and I would, and, and, and he would always play his music loud, but it was paper thin wall. So I would bang on the wall. So, uh, then, then I found out who Hedberg was. I saw him a few months ago on Letterman. I go, I got one of the funniest guys in the world living next to me. And he came to New York to do another Letterman like a year later. And, uh, somebody said, look, here's a set list. And the second bullet point on his napkin said DePaulo. <laughs> he oh. did a joke about do you remember he did a joke about his neighbor banging on the wall yeah, yeah, and he says you. come around That's that was you. me your connection sucks